I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Episode 174 of Blue Jays Nation Radio brought to you by Botano. The game starts now at Botano.ca 19 plus. Please play responsibly. If you are a hockey fan listening to this, they have a lot of hockey futures up now. So maybe you want to take your mind off what's happening with your favorite baseball team and go place a wager on the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup next year. Huh? Why not? Sure. That sounds all. like a good idea. <laughs> you can find it all at botano.ca. Coomzy, um, ugly one for the Blue Jays. It started so promising. So promising. Yeah, that's the thing is, to be, to be totally honest with you, when this thing kicked off as we were going into the series, I told myself, you know what? It's fine if they only win one out of three games against the Orioles. That's kind of just how it's gone this year. They're in Baltimore. They're probably not going to win the series. They're obviously not going to do a sweep. And then it turns out I'm not happy with one of three games. They they won that first one, and it really was one of those games that just shows how good the team can be if it's all working. It, it, that's a game like that is where it shows just how deep they could go into October if, if things are rolling. And then the next two games after that, they look like a middle of the pack team that's going to not just miss the playoffs, but miss out by a decent margin. They didn't look good at all. And it's a frustrating roller coaster ride. It's you want to believe they make you believe every once in a while and they take it away from you and they make you mad. And that's what this series was like. We've curbed the swearing on this show pretty well. It was a goal of ours, I want to say, but I'm going to break that rule because I'm reading a direct quote from John Schneider. When he was asked about this upcoming stretch of 15 games against sub 500 teams, he said, quote, there's no time to wait at all. We got to do it right fucking now. I do like that sense of urgency from the Blue Jays skipper, (laughs) but it also maybe goes to show there is a lot of frustration behind the scenes here. You couple those comments from Schneider with what we heard from Kevin Gosman after his start that didn't go all that well from a team perspective. Gosman was solid. Um, it feels like the vibes are rather low in this Jays clubhouse. Yeah, it definitely does. The the Schneider comments make sense. It's, you know, your manager, your coach, your, your leader trying to get people going. The Gosman one, you can 100% understand given the way... <laughs> 
the team tends to perform when he's pitching. It's almost like the team sort of sees, all right, we got our ace on the mound. I can take a day off here. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's what they're actually thinking. That's not what's going on in their head, but that's what it looks like from a distance. You know, the defense behind them suspect they're bumbling balls, making mistakes. The lineup just looks putrid. He's got the, you know, the lowest run support in major league baseball of any pitcher. Like (laughs) it's, there's, there's definitely legitimate reasons for him to be upset, but in baseball, what does that look like? What is a sense of urgency in baseball look like? It's not hockey where you can, you know, throw a puck into the other team's zone and skate in as fast as you can and hit the defenseman as hard as you can into the boards and get everybody excited. It's not really how it works. You can't just, you know, aim the ball better or (laughs) major league hitting in the major leagues is not that easy of a thing to do. So I understand the sentiment. It's a nice quote to hear as a fan. That's what you want. And John Schneider is kind of a hockey style manager, a la John Gibbons. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how the Jays become more urgent down the stretch. I, I, I truly don't know. Yeah, man. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely with you. It's, it's baffling. It's frustrating. I mean, me and you, I think follow a lot of the same Blue Jays voices on Twitter and the frustration is at an all time high. And, Again, this isn't a team that is, you know, five games back or four games back. Like they're a game and a half back of the Astros. They're two and a half back of the Seattle Mariners. Like turning this thing around is, is not the craziest thing in the world. We could also, I mean, you, I love the point you brought up last week, uh, or last episode. They're not that far back of the Texas Rangers, two and a half back of the Rangers with a big series to play. Like turning this thing around is not unfathomable, but when you just watch the way that they absolutely crumbled in those two, last two games against Baltimore. It's it's very concerning. So let's get into our three up, three down, and let's start with the downside of things. Uh, game two, where things really took a nasty turn. Uh, you and I were talking in a group chat before this game, and you were bringing up how the Jays are are ripe to hammer Dean Kramer in this game. Tons of data to back it up. It looked like they were in a good spot to take the second game of this series, and their bats just fell flat on their face once again. Um, that performance getting shut out in game two, it was ugly, 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 ugly from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, this sucked because after you win the first game, you win your Kikuchi start and you thought, okay, that's you know a harder one in the series to win, I guess. And one of the ones you look at, probably the one you would have looked at in this series as the game you should win was the Gosman start. And it was going to be Kevin Gosman versus Jack Flaherty who was Baltimore's trade deadline acquisition from the St. Louis Cardinals. And then, you know, a few hours before the game, Flaherty gets scratched with who knows what's going on, some kind of injury. And they replace him with a different guy, Dean Kramer, who wasn't supposed to start that day. And he, he'd gone a full week without pitching. His ERA is like 4.5. It's, it's a pitcher who's fine, but he's not amazing. It's not someone you should be shut down by. And the Jays were just completely mowed down. I mean, Gosman didn't have his best stuff, but he battled and he he gave the Jays a chance to win six innings, only two earned runs. And the Jays, it, it wasn't even close. Like there were there. It, it, it never felt in that game. Like as soon as Baltimore went up, it never felt like the Jays were going to be able to come back. There was there was nothing. And this is a pitcher who wasn't supposed to start, who's like a mid to back rotation starter. And you can't get anything, just a handful of singles, no hit for power whatsoever. And, you know, almost never threatening throughout the game. And then Trevor Richards comes in and implodes so that Baltimore doesn't have to use their closer, Felix Bautista. They had to use him in the first game. So if they used him in the second game, at the very least, you wouldn't have had Baltimore's closer available in the third game. But the bullpen couldn't even keep it together. The the lineup just just gave nothing. It was stunning to see that performance immediately after what was such a good opener in the series. What seemed like such 
what seemed like the beginning of momentum, like yeah. the start of something else, and it just completely fell flat. They had faced Dean Kramer two other times this season. They had combined for 17 hits off Dean Kramer in those two games and only had three runs to show for it in those 17 hits. So the logic kind of was, right, that, hey, maybe they were just getting a little unlucky. Like, they clearly see Dean Kramer well if they could have rattled off 17 hits in, like, 11 innings against him. Like, maybe, like like you were talking to me about, like, maybe this is just the game where they turn it around. And in the first inning of that game, it, it kind of looked like they were going to do it. They had runners in scoring position. George Springer's coming up. Runners on the corners. George Springer, who had been swinging the bat okay as of late. And you're like, okay, here we go. They'll start cashing in these runs. This is going to be a good night. Coombsy, they didn't get another runner in scoring position the rest of the game after that. Like, it's not even like they fail a little. They fail colossally. Yeah, it looks it looks like a triple-A lineup at times going up against like an ace starting pitcher. They look overmatched by everything. It, it, you face guys like Dean Kramer and Kyle Gibson. These are inning munching kind of guys. They're not overpowering. They're not dominant. They go and soak up innings so that Baltimore's dominant bullpen can get the job done at the back of a game. Uh, these are these are guys you should score a decent amount of runs off of. These are guys you should frequently have guys on base against. Like These are guys with whips around 1.4, 1.5. I know whip's not a great stat, but it indicates that you're frequently having runners on base when, when, when these guys are pitching. That just straight up didn't happen. And I don't know. Like you can't. Who who do you point at? Like you, you are we going to say that if Ross Atkins had acquired a lefty masher, right-handed bat at the trade deadline, some platoon, then everything would be fine. If Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel were still here, everything would be fine. I don't know. Like <laughs> it doesn't really feel that way. It feels like the whole the whole thing, top to bottom, just the approach just feels off. It feels it feels like they're swinging at a different ball than the other team's swinging at. Like. <laughs> Thinking at like a smaller ball that's more difficult to hit. It's it's really stunning. It's 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 very odd to see them get mowed down by pitchers like this. Two years ago, these are the kind of pitchers they would have scored six, seven, eight runs off of. And now it's yeah, it's not that surprising. They got shut down by a mid-level starter like Dean Kramer. It's just kind of par for the course. Yeah. Uh, frustrating stuff. You kind of touched on the second down, which was they waste a good Kevin Gosman start and then Trevor Richards implodes and the game becomes a blowout. The Jays certainly didn't do him any favors either. A couple of ugly throws in that, uh, in that appearance too. Um, let's go to game three though, where again, you're sitting there going, okay, you can salvage the series. You fell flat on your face last night. Here's a great chance to bounce back. Vladdy comes up. The bases are loaded. There's none out. And he hammers the first pitch he sees right into the ground. And the the frustrating part with Vladdy has been his approach. Like when the results are there, they, like game one, right? He did the same thing. He hit into a double play his first at bat. And I was like, are you kidding me, Vladdy? Why are you swinging at that first pitch and hitting into a double play? But then he goes and rattles off three hits in the game. And you're like, oh, okay, like that was actually a pretty good game from Vladdy. It was just one frustrating at bat. But then in game three, like, again, if you work the guy for seven, eight pitches, and then you got to fight one off and you hit into a double play. It happens. But the fact that this guy is so routinely free swinging at the first pitch he sees, often a terrible pitch to swing at and just doing nothing with it. He swings and his approach is like he's on the biggest heater of his life. And he just thinks he can always hit any pitch at will wherever he wants it. And that's got to change, man. It's been way too long of watching this guy do exactly what we saw him do in a handful of at bats in this series. 
Yeah, I think the worst the worst thing about this one was is uh, the at bat right before that. Brandon Belt had worked a walk on I think seven or eight pitches. He yeah. he he really made Gibson work in that at bat, and it was like, wow, Merrifield and Bichette start these this thing off with a couple of singles. You know, Brandon Belt has that great at bat. Your your pitchers on the rope series had to throw a little bit, and then just to swing at the first pitch is. <laughs> It's stunning. I, I I truly can't wrap my head around it. And the shitty thing about this is coming into that at bat there, and it, it, you really wouldn't expect to feel that way this season. But I can't think of many guys I'd like to have up at the plate right now less in that situation. Bases loaded, nobody out than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like the only one who I would say is probably less at this point is Alejandro Kirk, who's just like an automatic ground into a double play machine so i mean it, it's just nuts how how much things have changed i remember like even remember early in the year back in april his approach was so different it was he was only ever swinging at pitches inside of the zone drawing all of these walks laying off on stuff and it's just disappeared and it's weird it's like we've talked about him so many times and there's all these theories about why vladdy's struggling a lot of people really want to tell themselves it's luck but that wasn't bad luck. The outcome of that at bat wasn't ah oh, like tough luck. You you had a great approach. You drilled it. Fielder made an amazing play. Like that's not it. That's not what's happening here. Like I think everybody watching the games can see with their eyes. That's not what's going on. There's something funky about the approach. There's there's I don't know. There's it's 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 pretty difficult to put into words. It's 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 not what we expected to see this season at all. The season series comes to a close against the Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays win just three of those 13 games. You take that stat and then you go to the American League East standings and you see they're nine and a half games back. And it's like, man, if Baltimore would have only won six of those games instead of 10, right? Like if it would have been like right around 500, a split series, we're still talking about a Jays game or Jays team that can reach the top spot in the American League East, right? If they would have rattled off three more wins, that gap is real tight. Instead, we're sitting here talking about a team that's just scraping along for a wild card spot. This head-to-head series against Baltimore, it, it's crippled their chances of making the playoffs. And, and that is a very depressing thing to say and something I didn't think we'd be saying at the start of the year. No, like I thought the Orioles were going to be good. And to their credit, I think um, it's easy to look from the perspective of the Jays lost two games in that series, but I think you can also sort of flip that and say Baltimore won two games in the series. They they played really well. I mean, the pitching performance they got from Kramer there, the spot start, it was a great pitching performance, great work from the bullpen, the lineup against Barrios. Like he was perfect nine up, nine down the first time around. And then Anthony Santander with his home run, Cedric Mullins. And then they have that string where everyone's hitting singles, Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Santander again. It's, it's, you know, we made the joke a million times. Ooh, Ryan Mountcastle beats the wheels off of the Jays. He's Superman against the Jays, man. Everyone on the Orioles is like that against the Jays. It's Santander hitting these 500 foot bombs to the outfield, pulling the ball. Like we, ever see that when was the last time we saw one of toronto's big righty hitters just pull the ball and drill a home run like that i I honestly can't even remember uh their lineup it's just so deep and it's it sucks because they have more prospects coming they have more really good young guys that are going to augment an already deep lineup and they haven't even spent money in free agency yet or pulled the trigger on a, a huge trade or anything it's i didn't expect the orioles to become this good and it's a shitty world to live in. I prefer much more when they're the trash birds and they're bad. It sucks that they're this good. It's 
Ugh. It's just it's just such a it's such an American League East thing, man. Like you have a the Yankees are having like their worst the worst season we've ever seen them have in our lives. The Red Sox are mid. Tampa's you know they've got a they got a good amount of crap going on with them too. And then hey, here you got the Baltimore Orioles that look like you know they're going to become like a dynasty. It sucks. Yeah, uh, the good news is Coombsy, their owner is back to his uh, back to his usual antics here. I'll read you a quote from an article in the New York Times where uh, where the Oakland, sorry the Baltimore I almost called them the Oakland A's fitting uh, <laughs> Orioles owner uh, Angelos was talking about you know quote I don't think you should run losses and I think you should live within your means and within your market. He talked about how this how it might not be feasible. For this popular young core to be career Orioles like Brooks Robinson, Jim Palmer, and Cal Ripken. Without major changes, Angelo sees only one way the team could retain all of its young stars, saying, quote, we're going to have to raise the prices here dramatically. So anyways, I hope Orioles fans enjoy paying for like $38 beers next season just so they can try to sign Adley Rutschman in a few years. But like that is peak scumbag sports ownership kind of stuff from him being like, what me and all my millions I'm supposed to sign these guys. No, the fans can pay for it. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Not even, me. Fans. Now, not even me and my millions, me and my billions. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're very rich. Like the, the, the Angelus family bought the Orioles in 1993 for what, like 150, 200 million now based on what other teams like the Royals are selling for, they're probably worth like 2 billion. Like if you can't, afford to run the team sell the team <laughs> if you're if you're not that class of billionaire who can pay players to put together a product that wins and makes people want to come and watch then sell the team to someone that can there's other people out there that can and i mean i don't know i i, I agree with you i feel bad for orioles fans having to hear that this is the second time this guy's opened his mouth this year actually the third time because he got into a big spat with reporters back in january about saying he was going to open the orioles financials and uh show everyone what was going on and why he's crying poor and why the Orioles did fuck all last off season. And I mean, that just didn't happen. And and then of course there was also the thing with the broadcaster, uh, Kevin Brown, he says like just an objective thing. Oh, the Orioles did poorly against the Tampa Bay Rays over a stretch when they were tanking and the guy got suspended. Like, I don't know, man, <laughs> maybe you're not cut out to be running this thing. The Orioles have a really good thing going and hopefully for their fans, this dumbass doesn't ruin it for them. So I'll give you the numbers here. Uh, the Angelos group, or sorry, Peter Angelos led a group that purchased the Orioles for $173 million in 1993. The last valuation of the Orioles in 2022 was $1.71 billion. So I think you can run a couple of losses here and keep the fans happy because it's going to be a pretty nice return on investment either way. Yeah, and I think I mean there's also um, the the stadium Camden Yards they play in is publicly owned, and there's a, a, a they they passed a law in Mar- or not a law something there's something the they passed through something in Maryland whereas um, if they extend their lease the Orioles to continue playing at Camden which obviously they will they get six hundred million dollars in public funding from the government to improve the stadium and you can make a few accounting tricks and use that public money the six hundred schmills to do basically whatever you want if we're being totally honest with ourselves. So I don't know why this guy's crying foul. It's just, it's, it, yeah, it's annoying listening to these guys talk this way. And it's just like, if you, if, if, if you sit there and you can believe what the, the words that guy's saying, you are an idiot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's coming from two idiots on a podcast. Style. Exactly. I'm <laughs> as a rock. And even I can tell this guy's full of shit. 
<laughs> Let's talk about some positives. We've gotten our digs in now on uh, Orioles ownership. We feel a bit better about ourselves. Um, there were <laughs> some some bright spots in this series. Again, in game one, uh, Dalton Varsho. Hello. This guy stays hot. Hits a big home run. Scoops up another hit in the third game of the series. Over his last seven games in 23 at-bats, he's hitting 348 with an OPS above 1,000. Uh, Dalton Varsho, stay hot. Yeah, also there was a stats pointed out about Varsho and his defense as well as that at this point he is the best outfielder defensively in terms of defensive runs saved. Oh. So that's a that's a pretty big thing. I mean, uh, that trade got a lot of crap. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel started off really well for Arizona. Gabby Moreno, everyone loved him because he was, you know, the number one ranked prospect in the system. Pan Graps gave him that 70 grade. So people were super excited about it. And the kind of funny thing about the, the rhetoric around this trade is everyone talks about Moreno's limitless potential as a catcher. You know, he's a rookie. He's coming through. He's a new guy. He can he set the world on fire eventually. And the thing with Varsho is he's in his like second full season in the big yeah. leagues, his first one in the American League. And everyone's like, ah, there's no way this guy can get better or anything can change. He just is what he is. It's just like a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance there. But yeah, it's nice to see Varsho's back coming around because, you know, at the, at the very least, there was always the glove. You were always going to have a very good defensive outfielder, which carries a tremendous amount of value when you have pitchers who allow some contact, guys like Bassett, guys like Kikuchi. They've made those pitchers better. And, I mean, having the back come around will will quiet a lot of kind of the anger about what the Jays gave up in this trade. And it kind of makes you realize, you know what, this this did make sense. The player that they acquired is good. He isn't just some scrub, right? Yeah, uh, just looking here, last 30 games, uh, Dalton Varsho's OPS is just a hair above 800. Lourdes Gurriel's is right around 675. So the bats come around when you compare that deal. And Varsho, I talked about the home run in game one, picked up a hit in game three. His glove was excellent in center field in game three as well. He made a couple of really, really nice plays deep on the warning track. So yeah, that, that deal is fine in my books right now, without a doubt. Uh, a second up, I feel like the last two podcasts, the ups have been the exact same. It's been like, Varsho's good, and Brandon Belt's probably their MVP. He racks up. I mean, he hit that monster home run in game one to win them the game, more or less. Um, he is a lot of fun to watch right now. We talk about frustrating approaches with guys like Vladdy and even at times Bo Bichette. Um, Brandon Belt has the best approach on this team. Like the amount of times he'll go down one, two, and then it'll be like six pitches later and he finds a way to walk after fighting off two pitches. Like, man, he's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of sad to sit here and like try to imagine what the season would look like if Brandon Belt wasn't a blue jay. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if the team had leaned into what we said back in mid April, I maybe it's time to move on. <laughs> this guy actually isn't very good. He's washed up. We can tell based on his 15 games into the season. But yeah, I mean, honestly, if, um, He's been their best hitter this year. And I don't think if you if you had told people that back in January or February or whenever it was that they signed him, I think people would have been shocked. I think there was an expectation that he could be like a nice lower part of the lineup, lefty bat, like batting sixth and contribute a little bit. Nice veteran. But man, like there's there's no one on the team that you probably feel better about coming up to the plate than Brandon Belt. I think the next best two would be what, like Bo and Whit Merrifield? <laughs> Are like your big three hitters on the team this season. It's so weird. It's so weird the way things have worked out. I think I know we're trying to be positive here, but you you kind of look at the season some of these you know one year contract con- complimentary guys have had, and you look at Kiermaier, you look at Belt, 
and then Merrifield as well. He wasn't a one-year contract, but whatever. You you couldn't have imagined these three complementary players doing as well as they have done. And despite the value that they've received from these three guys, these three veteran additions, the team still is what it is. It's stunning that the core of the team hasn't been able to, you know, contribute enough that they have all these good things going around around them. And it it still just isn't enough. It's it's so difficult to wrap your head around what's going on with this team this season and why it hasn't just clicked. Yeah. Uh, final up, I guess, from that first game there would be how well the bullpen was. I mean, Tim Meza, that was just an absolutely electric performance. Granted, he got saved a little bit by, I think, maybe one of the best plays I've ever seen Bo Bichette make at shortstop. I mean, that blind... There were so many things that made that play excellent. The blind throw to get as much as he did on it to still get the guy, but also there was a runner on one, and I think at least I did. When the play was hit to him, I'm like, okay, they don't have time for two, but flip it to second and just get that out there. Get the lead runner. He wouldn't have if he would have even hesitated a little bit. If he would have tried to go to two, they would have gotten no outs at all. The The mindset and the presence and the baseball sense to be like, I don't even have time to go to second. I just got to heave this thing to one. That was unbelievable. Um, Tim Meza gave him a big shout on the mound as well, but the bullpen was great. And actually in game one, the defense was kind of good. Yeah, there was again a lot of things to like about game one. That bow play, I thought when he was winding up to throw it, I thought that was going to wind up in the seats. Like I thought he was going to throw that thing like 15, 20 feet in the air and there was no way he was going to make the play. But what it, what it kind of reminded me of when I watched it was it was like a Troy Tolowitzki play. And you kind of remember that um, with his connection with the Colorado Rockies, he's he's worked Bobichet's worked with Tulo before, so you kind of see that influence there. Kind of interesting, um, yeah. But circling back to the bullpen in that game, it's again one of those things that, uh, like I said, kind of off the hop when we were talking about Game One, was a performance like that from the pitching makes you realize that this is a team that can do very well in a playoff series. It's a bullpen that has so much depth. Like I'd say that Baltimore. They probably have the better two back end relievers. Bautista, especially, is I don't I don't think there's a reliever in baseball better than him right now. But the Jays have that depth. They can send out like six guys where you can realistically think, yeah, this guy's going to come in and do a good job. You have Romano at the back of it. You have you know Jordan Hicks coming in and throwing 102 miles an hour. You have Mesa. ZRA is around one this season. Uh, other guys too, like Genesis Cabrera, Jimmy Garcia. You have Eric Swanson as well. Like they have so many guys who can clear through innings that John Schneider was completely comfortable pulling Yusei Kikuchi before five innings. And he wasn't pitching badly. He was pitching fine. It was just like, you know what? We have the depth and we're rested. Let's go through and use our stacked bullpen to just plow through five or six innings here. And that's what happened. And it, 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 it just gets you more frustrated thinking about the hitting, knowing that the pitching is this good because pitching that gets you deep, deep into October, but you can't just not hit at all. They have to hit in some capacity. They don't have to hit much. They just have to hit a little bit because the pitching's so good. Jays dropped two or three to the Orioles. They sit nine and a half back in the American League East on October or sorry, on August 25th. They are one and a half back in the wild card race. Um, not looking great right now for the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, Alec Manoa. Um, that was a bit of a mystery over the last seven to 14 days here for Blue Jays fans. But Ben Nicholson Smith is reporting that Manoa is going to join the Buffalo Bisons down in Syracuse. Is this a situation where 
they're trying to build him up and see if he can be a bullpen arm for them in September. I, I doubt it. This really feels Coombsy like it's a get back on track. We'll do this whole thing again next year. Yeah, I, I we that's what we talked about when this when this first happened when he got sent down after that bad outing against the Astros back in early June was things have gone totally sideways this year. He's a young guy. Let's you know worry about getting this figured out for 2024. And then there wasn't the starting pitching depth. Mitch White was a pumpkin. The, none of the none of the depth guys in Buffalo were working out, so they brought him back up to fill those spots until Hyunjin Ryu came up. And then they did a few more with the six man rotation, and it became clear that all right, this isn't working out. It's you know one good start and then a couple of bad starts. It's it's not really worthwhile to have Alec Manoa continue to get you know knocked around a few times and I, I i i feel like the same way now i don't really feel like it would be beneficial for the jays to call him up and pitch in the bullpen down the stretch and you know he's never pitched out of the bullpen before in the majors his stuff doesn't really translate to that kind of spot you know more of a pitch to contact guy out of the bullpen i'm not sure that's going to be helpful given what he's gone through already this season him coming up and doing that just seems kind of meh but i do understand why they would want to have him continue to pitch with buffalo so that they do have a sixth starter so that you're not in a situation where you're like <laughs> you know we're re-adding mitch white to the 40-man roster or something like that in september because so and so has gotten injured knock on whether that doesn't happen but yeah i don't know the situation's been weird there was a lot of speculation i thought it was pretty unfair people were speculating oh maybe he's you know rejected the demotion to triple a because he thinks he should be on the team i don't know why there would be any indication that that was happening there's you know plenty of struggling young players get demoted and they just go down and then come back up later it's not the end of the world like it's not like alec manoa was making a big scene when he got sent down to dunedin i think he he handled the demotion pretty well considering all like all things considered you come into the season as the team's ace you're the face of the pitching staff you're one of the you know biggest and brightest and most exciting pitchers in major league baseball at the time and all of that disappears and he handled it well i think and people are carrying on like he's rejecting a demotion to buffalo which makes no sense so i thought that was pretty unfair but um if there's anything to be skeptical about here it's the the concern that the jays brought him up and let him maybe pitch in a situation where he overexerted himself and might have hurt himself but he went through all of that testing and it appears as though nothing's wrong there's no structural damage everything appears to be fine so they're going to ramp up his innings and if he needs to come up he will i would guess we're not seeing him in the major leagues again this season that's that's my guess but then again i also said that in june and i was wrong so who knows Weird situation, though. Weird year. Very, very weird year. Um, <laughs> man, I mean, Jays fans, you want to talk about the vibes being low and being in a bad spot? How about LA Angels fans? They get Mike Ooh. Trout back in the lineup, and it's like, okay, Trout and Otani healthy. Maybe they can put together some sort of miracle run. Trout is back on the IL, and now Shohei Otani will not pitch again for the remainder of the season with a UCL injury. That is about the spookiest three letters you can hear when it comes to a pitcher is something's wrong with their UCL. Um, He's not going to pitch again this year. And I'll be honest, it's weird that he's even hitting. If I was his agent, I would be like, whoa, we're going to make potentially 600 and how many million dollars this winter? You're done, man. The team's 10 and a half games back. You in all likelihood have the MVP award wrapped up already. There is no reason for Shohei Otani to be on a baseball field. And this is coming from a guy who has the Shohei Otani hitter in his fantasy baseball league and playoffs are about to start. I still think he should sit out. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I don't think the Angels are. You can't consider them a playoff candidate yeah. at all. Like it's just they're they're just in the mix talking wise for the sake of narratives because people are interested in Otani. But otherwise, you know, no, they're 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 just as far, if not as far out as say like the Mets are in the National League. Who's <laughs> talking about the Mets making the playoffs? So yeah, it, it's it's a it's a shitty thing for baseball. It's an unfortunate thing to see that. There's a chance now that the, you know, unicorn two position superstar is going to go back to just being, well, not back, but go, go to being just a hitter, which would be unfortunate because it's so cool seeing Otani, you know, pitch a great game and then also hit a double in that same game and do cool stuff like that. It's, it's so unique. We never see it. And it would be a shame if that came to an end from his perspective also as well. Um, if he's signing a contract as just a hitter, he's not going to earn as much. He's still obviously going to earn a lot as that big left-handed bat. But if you're not a pitcher, then you're not going to see that, you know, there, there was talk that, you know, based on being a hitter and a pitcher, you have to add 30 mil by 30 mil because that's the market rate for, a great pitcher and a great header is two players in one. This is going to be a 50 or $60 million annual contract. I don't know if that's going to be the case again, if, if, if he's not pitching, but from a blue Jays perspective, if the price now comes down on Shoei Otani and he's not going to cost a billion dollars to sign and you know, Jays could use a left-handed bat. If they're not able to re-sign Brandon belt, they can bring in Shoei Otani to replace them. One MVP for another. Yeah, and uh, yeah, one MVP for another. Um, and I mean, maybe it's a situation where Otani just goes, I, I can't pitch for a year. Like, I need to take next year off. But my goal is to get back on a mound at some point in whatever, 2025. Then, I mean, teams will still take a chance on that yeah. guy. Even if there's a 50% chance that he ever steps foot on a mound again, teams will sign him, like you said, just for the bat. Two, just for the marketing. Three, on the off chance that you one day get the unicorn back in your lineup. Like, that's, but again, if the injury was serious enough where it's like, oh no, he's out for the next 10 months, then that's going to hurt his market, which is why I'm so surprised that he's playing through this. Like, I, I just really don't see the logic in it. I understand he's probably a competitor. He probably wants to be out there playing baseball, but someone's got to tell him like, man, not worth risking the mega ticket, especially. And I know he's made lots of money to this point. Like he's a millionaire many, 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 many times over. His last arbitration case was or arbitration settlement was historic. But still, you're on the cusp of making like 500 million plus on a contract. You yeah. should probably just sit out the final 25 games of a miserable angel season. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we'll get to the AL East report in a second here. But first, let's step aside for a quick break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Moving along on Blue Jays Nation Radio, episode 174, brought to you by Botano. Let's bring in our pal Brandon Douglas for the AL East slash AL wildcard report. Brando, what do we got going on? We got pretty much the same old, same old with uh, some teams in the American League West kind of just scuttling along with the exception of the Mariners. We'll kind of round out the report talking about those three teams and how they relate to the wildcard race. But really, just to polish up what you guys were talking about before the break with Shohei Otani and his contract situation, I wonder now you talk, Cam, about the Blue Jays might being able to be afford Shohei Otani now. Can the Angels now afford Shohei <laughs> Otani with him uh, not probably commanding nearly as much money with the pitching speculation. So just one little note I wanted to throw in there if uh, Angels fans are having as much more miserable of a time than Blue Jays fans are uh, here down the home stretch. So uh, the Orioles, you guys talked about them at length here, uh, everything from the ownership being uh, jerks to the team playing tremendously. They'll roll on their homestand here after they uh, polish off the Blue Jays. Uh, they will host the Colorado Rockies for three games. The Rockies just finished getting swept by the Rays, who, like you talked about last episode, Tyler, despite this team just looking like it is is due for a fall off a cliff due to injuries and and the the PR issues going on with Wander Franco. They they still roll along. They're back to just being two games back of Baltimore for the division lead. It's not out of reach of them by any stretch of the imagination. And their current transit between Tampa and Durham is basically a revolving door. But just because of the injury situation, there's guys up, guys down almost every day on and off the injured list. How they're able to keep this all together is is a miracle in my eyes. And you really have to give them credit for it, uh, even with that little midseason blip they had where they were on a bit of a skid. Uh, the Rays, they'll now host the Yankees for three, who just for the sake of mentioning them, since this is still technically the AL East report, uh, they lost two of three to the Washington Nationals, uh, who have been a surprisingly good team here in the back half of the season. So the Yankees, much less so. Uh, two more teams in the wildcard race. Uh, they split four game series, the Red Sox and the Astros. Boston dropped the first two and then kind of rallied back around one game, three and extras and then kicked the living shit out of Houston in game number four. It was on yesterday morning and kind of had it on in the background is doing some work here at home. And it was pretty ugly uh, for Houston. Uh, they want to put this one in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible. They will start a road trip heading to Detroit to play the Tigers for three games. On Boston side of things, uh, a little bit of things to be concerned, a few things to be concerned about. Pardon me. Kenley Jansen had to leave the third game of this series with some hamstring tightness, looking like he might miss some time, but probably not going to land on the injured list. Jaron Duran, however, did land on the 10 day IL. He'd uh, hurt himself in the series finale against the Yankees at the back half of last weekend. The Red Sox, they will return home. They'll host the Dodgers for three games, and this will be Mookie Betts making his first return back to Fenway Park as a Dodger. So that might be something worth tuning in to check out. Uh, and the Mariners, they roll on. They went two or three versus the White Sox. They uh, had an eight game winning streak snapped when they lost the series finale, but they've now scaled over top of Houston to the wild card number two spot. They are only one game back of Texas. Technically, so is Houston just because of some games in hand situation uh, for the division lead in Texas. They lost two to the Diamondbacks, lost the series opener to the Twins for the weekend here. And Texas has lost seven games in a row 
and their lead has absolutely disappeared on them. They've fallen out of the chance to be the, be the one seed. Baltimore has that very capably in hand. Tampa's their only competition for it. So the wild card race is exciting as ever. I'll throw a percentage just to give us a little bit of uh, perspective on it here. Included every team that's technically in the mix and our division leaders. There's Minnesota just plodding along in a nice 516 <laughs> win percentage. But uh, but yeah, guys, the the wild card race it's is exciting as ever with enough teams in the mix and how everything slots out position wise and who's going to host some games and who's not. It, it it'll make for an exciting last month and a half of the season here. Yeah, I misspoke earlier. I said the Jays were two and a half back of the Mariners. I was wrong. They're one and a half back of both the Astros and Mariners. Two and a half back of the Rangers. So if you want to look for some silver lining as we head down the stretch here, it's the fact that if you're the Jays, you just need to catch one of Houston, Seattle, or Texas. Just one of those three teams needs to really be worse than you down the stretch. Like, it's not that crazy. And I I know we're down in the dumps right now, but Coom, like, this isn't a big mountain they need to climb. No, and they have a really favorable schedule coming up. It's Cleveland right away, and then Washington. Washington's not terrible, but Colorado, Oakland, and Kansas City, man, those teams are really bad. That's a 15-game stretch against non-playoff teams. At minimum, you should go 10-5. and And then, of course, right after that, then you have your four-game series against the Rangers and you're, you're kind of in control of your own destiny. If you, if you bomb through those 15 games and you're in a good spot, you're tied or ahead of the Rangers and then you play them then you can bury them in the standing. So the Jays are sort of still in control of their own destiny, not fully technically, but kind of. So, I mean, just, just take care of business in this stretch. They, we, we've whined about the schedule plenty this season. They finally have a very easy two weeks. They need to get it done here. They need to win some games. They need to finally go on a hot streak. It hasn't really happened yet. It needs to happen now. Uh, Brando, I'll let you take a stab at this. 15 games against teams below 500. Give me a prediction for how the Jays roll through this. Like Cam said, the Nationals are a better team than I think their record shows right now. Cleveland, we just saw their pitch and kick the shit out of us uh, not that long ago. I think, uh, what'd you say, 10 and 5, Cam? I'll, uh, I'll say for the sake of a different opinion, 11 and 4 would, uh, would be, go a long way to, to help the Blue Jays solidify their playoff spot. So they got to get it done, like uh, manager John Schneider said, right effing now. Yeah, right <laughs> effing now. Uh, thanks for the AL East report there, Brando. Enjoy your weekend. Have a good weekend, guys. Uh, Coombsy, let's talk a little bit more about this stretch coming up here for the Blue Jays. Like, again, 15 games against teams below 500. It does get off to a bit of a tougher start relative to the end of it. Like, again, Cleveland, good arms there. Washington, that's a team that's got some bats now. Like, the future yeah. actually looks somewhat bright for the Nats. And then after that, though, it, it's Colorado, Oakland, Kansas City. Like, those are nine games right there. You should just blow through those teams because you have something to play for. They absolutely do not. Um, the other thing that's interesting, just looking at kind of everyone else's schedule, the Mariners, the Astros, and the Rangers, September 4th through 6th, the Jays are going to be playing a three-gamer in Oakland. Texas and Houston will be going head-to-head in that stretch as well. Um, and the Mariners are going to be playing the Reds, so not an easy little stretch or not an easy series for them either. So there are some opportunities ahead here. The Jays got to take advantage of it. You said 10-5. and five. That is without a doubt the minimum like you need to win every series there should be a sweep or two mixed in here 
Yeah, they're, they're, none of these series when you're facing... So there's, there's five different teams here, three-game series each. Yeah. None of these teams should win more than one game in these series, and you really should be sweeping Colorado, Oakland, Kansas City. I can understand why they wouldn't sweep Cleveland. They have fantastic pitching. I can understand why you wouldn't sweep the Nationals. They're a young, up-and-coming team. There's a lot of guys there trying to prove themselves, but those last games against Colorado, Oakland, Kansas City, you should go like eight and one. They, 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 they haven't done that yet this season. They haven't had a big rip where they've just gone and beaten the wheels off of a bunch of bad teams in a row. It just hasn't, they haven't had the opportunity. The schedule just hasn't allowed for it, but they also haven't really done that well against bad teams. So they got to do it here. Otherwise, you know, other teams have an opportunity to bear down. But that being said, like, look at, the, look at the teams in the West. Texas is on a seven game losing streak. You know, they're, it's not like every other team's just killing it, right? It's not like everyone's looking at it being like, all right, we're in the stretch drive. We're never going to lose again. Other teams are losing as well. There is some room for error, but it'd be really, really, really unfortunate to come out of this 15 game stretch having gone like eight and seven or something like that. If, if that happens, then I don't think we would have any valid optimism about, about this team having success. No, if you can't beat the bad teams, how could you expect them to go through that tough stretch at the end of middle to end of September where you go Texas, Boston, okay, the Yankees at the Yankees, that actually should be easy, but then you play the Rays twice still. Like, yeah, it, it could be tough sledding here. Uh, the Yankees falling flat on their face and then just continuing to roll down this hill of disappointment is great, though, because the Jays do have six games against them uh, between now and the end of the season. Uh, let's zero in on this upcoming series against the Guardians tonight. Game one, Chris Bassett against Tanner Bybee. Hunjin Ryu against Logan Allen in game two. Yusei Kikuchi against Noah Syndergaard in game three. The Jays have seen two of these arms in recent memory here. And tonight, our friends at Patano do have the Jays as big favorites. Minus 154 on the money line, plus 130 on the run line. Total set at 8.5, 19-plus. Please play responsibly. The game starts now at patano.ca. Coomzy, give me a give me a breakout bat in this series for the Toronto Blue Jays as they uh, take on the Guardians. Oh, man. Who's going to have a big series? Uh, I'd love to say Vladdy, but I feel like this is going to be a bow series. I just have a feeling like there was a good stuff from Brandon Belt and Bar Show last time around. But I'm thinking either a either a bow or a George Springer series. That's kind of who I'm feeling. Yeah, George Springer was going to be uh, my answer. You remember last time they played Cleveland and again, they faced a couple of these very similar arms. He went out and had himself a damn good series against the Guardians. He was in that long slump not far before that. And then I'm just looking in those three games. He racked up five hits. He ended up having six total bases in the series finale. Um, hit the dinger as well in their one nothing win that one game. So I, I'm going with George Springer as my breakout bat for this series here against the Guardians. The Jays back at home looking to crawl back into a wildcard spot. Toronto, Cleveland, Houston, Detroit, Seattle, Kansas City, Texas, Minnesota. Those are the series you're going to want to watch this weekend. Should be a fun weekend of baseball, Coombs. You enjoy it. I will do my best. Cleveland versus Cleveland North. Should be exciting. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 